The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Welcome to this episode of A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. This is a production of Colorado Business Roundtable, where we bring together executives from academia, business, community, and government to talk about how we can all work together, convene and collaborate, and ultimately make our state one of vitality and opportunity. And opportunity is really the key word today for introducing our guest, um, Jason Jans, who is the CEO of Cross Purpose, and excited to welcome you to the show today, Jason, welcome. Hey, Debbie, thanks for having me on. You bet, you're you're a force in nature. When I first met you, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I really like your passion, your vision, your commitment to Denver, to our community, and wanted to work with you. And I'm so glad you're actually an official member of Colorado Business Roundtable now. But before we go into the purpose of Cross Purpose, so to speak, tell our listeners more about you, um, your story, how you ended up being in the seat today. Yeah, I was born in the Midwest uh, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and my dad had a business that actually collapsed. And so our home was foreclosed on, pretty much had a childhood poverty experience, moving out to Denver in 1985. A family of seven. We knew one person in Littleton, Colorado, so we moved into her basement. Uh, and then we quickly moved into lower middle class life. My mom went to work outside um, or out to the what used to be the Stapleton Airport, uh, and that was her first job. And uh, and Denver really gave us a new new lease on life. And so I've been a resident uh, since 1985. And you know, then I went into ministry work in the first leg of my career, but I really started seeing how the church, the part of the church that I was part of, didn't really have an answer to the social needs in the neighborhood. And my wife and I had started an addiction recovery program and started seeing that what the church was dishing up as a solution, I felt was inadequate for the amount of love, care, and investment it was going to take to really see true social change. So it really left that uh, to move into the urban core of Denver uh, during the actually 2008 recession. Um, and then as a necessity, you know, I wanted to start a church, but which ended up then burgeoning into a nonprofit to help families get out of poverty. And that was just through living in the neighborhood and seeing that our traditional solutions to poverty, food, clothing, Christmas gifts, turkey dinners, wasn't getting anybody out of poverty. So there needed to be a way deeper solution to that. So that led us to the founding of the nonprofit in 2012, and we just turned 10. Well, I can relate to uh, living in a basement. That was my first place I lived after I got married at a young age because we didn't have a home yet. We moved to Denver and uh, similar story. We had one friend who had a basement and thought uh, we had just lucked out as a place to kind of get our bearings and figure out where we wanted to settle. And it probably, you know, served us both well. And I like that you've, it's interesting to hear about your career pivot too, to ministry, uh, you know, from a pulpit, perhaps to ministry to walking around and really meeting the needs of the people that you see every day. So that's an interesting thread, Jason, and how you've how you found it cross purpose. Yeah, instrumental. Uh, I put my kids into this uh, neighborhood school that had been underperforming, uh, had been shut down three times, and I joined the PTA. And actually a Denver businessman named Tom Gamble, uh, who really uh, bought businesses and turned them around and then sold them. He walked in and adopted our school 
because his mom had gone there and uh, he invested seriously into the school financially. And then we became friends and through that, the first year of partnership with him, I was baptized really into public education and the needs there. Then uh, he engaged in a school board election um, that was transformative. So I, I started learning about politics and then he asked me to help him be his philanthropic partner and help him distribute funds to worthwhile nonprofits. So then I was baptized into philanthropy. So it was almost like a master's degree at the feet of an extremely wise Denver businessman that I actually learned like how to not be just, as you said, not just pastor of a congregation, but almost pastor of a neighborhood. But I was also then also saw again at a grass tops level, how much like the church as a social instrument of change was not present at the table. So this became like this like driving passion for me to be like, my faith needs to hit pay dirt to see change. But I would say every, every school I attended from, kindergarten through my master's degree has now shut its doors. So I don't have an academic <laughs> degree worth anything, but I was mentored by a businessman. And, uh, you know, uh, five years ago, he passed away, a deep loss in my life. But I wouldn't be where I'm at today without his influence in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And to think, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I've been able to interview different people, particularly on this podcast or in the things I do and how one person can be such a game changer for leaders, you know, that they can point to. And then it's interesting too, Jason, because I suspect you're now mentoring others sort of in the same vein, passing on that tradition of how people can have more impact, more influence, more care in their community. I suspect that's a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, we use the phrase here, there's no significant change without a significant relationship. Really what makes us in life are the mentoring influence, usually through books, or through personal relationships, that's what moves us from one level to another. And I'm just grateful for the people that were placed in my path at significant journeys. And, you know, when he passed, I felt this deep sense of loss. It was like, I felt like I was leaning up against a marble pillar uh, and I didn't know it and it evaporated and I stumbled, you know, and um, I kind of looked up to God and said, why did you do this to me? You know, this was, uh, he was like a father to me. And I felt like the voice from heaven said, you're a grown ass man. And, you know, I realized he was a raving fan of me and I didn't have that really in my life. And so it was like, Jason, turn around and become a raving fan of people. You're, you're in your forties and you always think like you need more time and more wisdom to be a mentor, but there's plenty of people behind you in uh, the journey of life that could benefit. And so I started, you know, leadership cohorts to just mentor young nonprofit leaders. And I had another mentor uh, named Joe Leiniger who owned a private equity fund. And he brought me into a mentoring circle and then said, if you join this mentoring circle, when you finish, you have to start another mentoring circle. So I think I'm on my fourth mentoring circle now uh, as a result of really those two men having a significant shaping influence in my life. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It makes me want to be part of your mentoring circle. Um, you know, we learn so much from others. I feel like I, I now have young people in my life that I feel like are mentors, you know, and people who've kind of walked ahead of me, which is which is kind of a cool concept as well. But that brings me to the organization. Tell us more about I've I've grown to be such a big fan of what you're doing, you know, how you're executing really um, powerfully. Tell the people listening today more about that, more about cross purpose. Yeah, so our mission is to abolish poverty 
through uh, all forms of poverty, economic poverty, relational poverty, spiritual poverty, through career and community development. So we really provide job training for a livable wage career. We also then develop social capital. So we build economic capital and social capital through relationships to help people really launch into a new wage tier and a company where they can actually climb the ladder within that company. And the company then will take them the next lap of the journey. And that to us is not just helping people in poverty, it's helping people get out of poverty. I think 90% of nonprofits help people in poverty. And we that's why we're cross-purpose. We're going a different direction on how we value people, how we look at people and what we believe their potential is. And also then saying, we're gonna do what we call expensive love to get them to that, that wage tier. And we do it for free to our neighbors. So it's, they don't have to encumber themselves with debt. Uh, they can, if they sweat, we will sweat. And so we do that with about uh, 300 families this year. We're hoping to scale to 800. And we will then be one of the largest providers of stackable credential certificates in the city of Denver. Uh, and I just, and it's for free, like there's no debt attached. And so I, I'm just thrilled that they can actually then move with that next chapter of life. And obviously we want to partner with business because without business, it doesn't work. Like Absolutely. they're the ones that I, provide the wages, right? And I think what you're offering too is sustainable opportunity. So it's not just a, you know, a one and done, right? They've moved into a position now where the dignity of work becomes um, a part of their life forever. It could potentially stop multi-generational poverty because they're able to just get the, the, the path they need to be able to kind of live their lives with a whole new outlook, a whole new mindset of opportunity as well. Yeah, I had a graduate tell me she was on the 23rd floor, floor downtown of a law firm looking down at the alley where she had overdosed um, next to a dumpster. And now she was working for that law firm. And then I also realized like for her being on the 23rd floor downtown, like she she's now in a really good environment. She now, there's a whole culture there. Uh, and that water, just being in that water will change her. And I know they'll fall in love with her and then they'll let her go to paralegal school. And then, the, you know, they'll help her go to the next step. So it's just, we're just trying to pry that link because right now there's a huge gap between what business needs as far as quality talent. And we have now have an 81% six month retention rate with all of our grads. Uh, so the gap between finding that talent and the neighbors who don't know that where these opportunities exist and they don't have training options to get them there. So I think we're just that stop at 53% of all Colorado jobs are middle skills jobs that only require uh, a high school degree, a high school diploma, but they don't require any college at all. So we don't need to send them off to a two and four year program, which for our families, like, you know, the local community college is a 14% grad rate. So we have a 70% grad rate. So I, I just want to like have our neighbors get a quicker solution, six months, they can move into a good company and the company will take them from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and going back, I kind of uh, jumped in too quickly, but um, you were talking about one of the key pieces that's missing for you. If we think about what's your barrier to accelerate more quickly is really the partnership with employers and partnership with workforce. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you've told me before, that's one of the ways you really want to connect with the employer community to make sure as you're scaling, you've got the right opportunities ready for your graduates so that they can jump in and have that path. Is that right, Jason? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, we're fairly new. I don't think we started even helping 200 families a year until about four years ago. So our, our brand awareness is really low in the community. But obviously, I love a virtuous cycle with the private sector 
where we provide you talent trained and ready to go. Uh, and they've been through all the soft skills stuff too, that whether from the philanthropic bucket or the talent acquisition bucket, help us on the front end train the next person. And we could create this, you know, we as neighbors can solve our own problems. You know, government is there, I think, to help and provide an environment that's hopefully conducive. But by and large, I mean, we just had one of the largest hospitals in here last week. And they were like, we, we can't perform our mission right now because we have so many open uh, places. And so, you know, we're going to be with them next week to form this virtuous cycle. And they said, we'll pay. You know, I'm like, hey, that's great. Right now we're offering talent for free, but I'd love even to have some some bit back. Because I think my constraint right now is just the funding to help more families. And, and like you said, that's a place where some of the government money coming into town, whether it's ARPA money, workforce money, would be really helpful to help bridge that gap. Like you said, with the talent disruption that we've had with COVID and frankly, before COVID, uh, it's just accelerated and, and, and gotten worse for most employers. And yeah, I just Colorado. saw the new, the new budget in Denver is $283 million for homeless services. $283 million, that's roughly twenty grand per homeless person. And I pretty much can guarantee you in 12 months, our homeless numbers can be the same or greater because the solutions aren't solving the problem. And I think Common Sense Institute just put out a report that it's really public and private funds total is like eighty to $120,000 per person. So that's just to deal with uh, keeping the issue and trying to move it forward. And I just think like we have a far more robust solution for one fourth of the cost that actually will allow our community to thrive. Well, and and it's neat to have your voice be a seat at the table. That's what we're calling our podcast now. You're one of the first guests on the new A Seat at the Table. But do you feel like, um, you know, you've got a different mindset rather than just, okay, let's just pay to keep people um, on the streets. Do you feel like your voice is being heard in terms of the tables that are out there, whether it's uh, folks making decisions at the government level and the private sector level, or is this an opportunity for you to say, hey, I've got an approach that it, that is actually working, it's sustainable, it's giving people opportunity, and I, you know, I, I need to be heard more. You meaning, you know, Jason Jans of Cross Purpose. I actually think, so the homeless issue gets a lot of press and a lot of attention, but it's 1.7% of the poverty population in our city. It gets, but it gets the lion's share because no one wants a tent in front of their business, right? It's very visible. But the true poverty issue is the 98% that are employable people that need training and opportunity to help fill the workforce gap. And I actually think from, I, I think I have a good view of the public sector, the private sector, and the philanthropic sector. There's actually a lot of well-intentioned people trying to, to help. But by and large, I think it's not just the voice of Jason Janis. There's an entire sector that's post-high school, pre-college that I don't think our community is aware of. And if we just put, we, we need more institutions in that space. We have Emily Griffith Technical College, and then we have you know some for-profit providers, but we need 10 organizations like ours that I think can train up a workforce faster, cheaper, uh, and meet the needs of industry. I just think the two-year, four-year model needs to be completely reimagined. So if we need high-skill four-year degrees, for 30% of our jobs, which we have in Colorado, let's go, let's do that. But that, that's not what companies are dying for right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of our companies, I think I've told you, even, even companies like a Boeing and an IBM and some others, you know, they don't necessarily, for many other jobs, need a higher ed, traditional higher ed degree. And they would even, if they find talent, you know, um, and bring them in, and then they needed them to have a degree at some point, I've heard them say, well, we'll 
we'll bring them in, then we'll pay for their school if we want to sort of have them um, get that degree at that point. But it's changing rapidly. Jason, I think, you know, we've been involved in sort of the workforce conversation, particularly the last 12 months as um, there's been some task force, task force tables put together on higher ed and other ways to sort of disrupt the normal. What would you say for our folks listening, some of these large employers, what would you want them to know about how to partner with you if they wanted to jump in and really see the work you're doing and figure out how to partner with you? Yeah, fundamentally come visit us, but look at us as a talent solution, not as a charity. And let's work on a partnership on how that would look like. I would love to have enough partners where, um, you know, we're hopefully gonna help 800 families by 2025 where I could guarantee them a job. You know, and obviously I've got to deliver quality talent. I'm not asking any private company to make a charity play or do quote unquote at risk hiring. I don't even like the term. My neighbors are not at risk people. They are, they are people of dignity, resourcefulness. They're scrappy. They're resilient and they just need an opportunity. So I would like that. Like let's, I'll help you solve your problem. You help us solve our problem and let's do it together. Yeah, well said. And we'll work on that. We'll work on a tour put together, if not in the next month or two. We'll we'll see what works for your convenience. See if we can help line some of that up as well. Lunch is um, on us. Yeah. Oh, lunch. Hey, well, there you go. Appreciate your time today. Um, one of the things we're starting just kind of a lightning round at the end. I think I gave you fair warning, but you're the first one to be a part of this lightning round. So what did just go through real quick? Favorite powerhouse lunch or happy hour? Actually, it's the City Park Tavern, which is the golf course clubhouse at the City Park Golf Course. It has the best view of the city closest to downtown. The food is average. The people there are great. And the view is stupendous. Nice. Have you golfed there? No. I just oh. <laughs> so I've golfed there, but I've never stayed for the tavern. So I think I've got it in. I've got the wrong way around. Best way to relax. Uh, I don't. <laughs> no. uh, binge. I have four, I have four boys and uh, I, I like to, I like to bike. So I, I hop on a road bike every once in a while. Yeah. There's time. I didn't relax till all my kids left home. Then I found ways to relax. So you got time. Favorite binge could be a book, a podcast, Netflix series. Do you have a binge thing? I like Guy Raz's uh, How I Built This. I find that uh, extremely uh, informative. I, I read the book as well. And uh, I like biography on the Netflix side and documentaries. I like, I don't like fiction as much because I like real life. Like these are real people who did real things. And, sh- and of course we have some hagiography uh, where it's glorified, but I, I want to look at somebody and say, oh, could I do that? And I think biography and documentary kind of give us that view. And then finally, best business advice you received to help you get a, a seat at the table. It was actually a quote I read in a book of like, you know, those top 100 quotes. And it said, the best reward for doing is the opportunity to do more. And I just think people always wait for the resources. They always wait for the right opportunity. And it's like, you know, just go charge hell with a squirt gun. And all of a sudden, another opportunity will open up. And, uh, and, and that's how I've lived my whole career. I've never, I've never put out a, I've never been in a job interview. I'm 49 years old, so... Well, that's awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for joining today. I think uh, you brought up the fact that your mentor uh, thought you should be a grown-ass man, and it sounds like you, you're you doing big stuff here, not only in Denver, but inspiring everybody throughout the state, and uh, we appreciate your partnership very much. Yeah, we'll see you in the morning. At the, uh... <laughs> sounds great. So thank you. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this has been a podcast for Colorado Business Roundtable, and we'll see you next time. 
A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.